the great mother whom we call Inanna gave a gift to woman that is not known among men this is the secret of blood the flow at the dark of the moon the healing blood of the moon's birth to men is flux and distemper bother and pain they imagine we suffer and consider themselves lucky 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 we do not disabuse them in the red tent the truth is not in the red tent where days pass like a gentle stream as the gift of inanna courses through us cleansing the body of last month's death preparing the body the new Months life. Women give thanks for repose and restoration. For the knowledge that life comes from comes between, between our legs. That life costs blood. Anita Diamond. Anita. So welcome to Prinny's Red Tent. So a little explanation about what the Red Tent actually was. So in ancient times, when there was respect and reverence for the divine feminine energy, which is obviously the opposite polarity to the divine masculine energy, of which we all have both, no matter your gender, and obviously the goal is to balance them both. But the divine feminine energy represents the force of creation. It's everything that nourishes life. It's the cycles of life, death, and rebirth, and it's for that reason connected to water because it's all about cycles, ebb and flow, about your cellular intelligence of which we all have water in ourselves and it's all about emotions etc. So whenever you're creating, you're creating from your feminine side because it's the wisdom that a mother has to grow a whole human being from cells without being told or taught how to do it. It's everything that can't be measured or quantified in a linear reductionist manner. So in ancient times, women would go into a red tent because when women would have their moon time, because women menstruate with the phases of the moon, they would go into a red tent and share stories and have tea and connect with each other and rest. So I'm recreating this digitally as a safe space for us to share and talk about mysteries of life because in our modern world we don't really have a red tent anymore we're taught to numb 
distract, keep producing. And we're ashamed about bleeding, whereas in ancient times, women were seen as sacred, keepers of the blood mysteries, because we could bleed without dying. We could grow a whole baby and obviously nourish them from our blood through milk. And they saw the cervix as a portal between heaven and earth. So this is the antidote to all of the shame that surrounds women, the divine feminine, and our blood mysteries. I remember you used to always laugh that I would turn up just like with the biggest bags that would have like my laptop in it, like, you know, like a styling kit, like everything just to go to like an event. <laughs> Literally, like you could honestly, I swear like you could honestly fit like that was like a like small children probably in front of your back. Like, I'm not even <laughs> <laughs> My guest on the podcast is Miss Lottie Madden. So I first met Lottie when she was studying at Marangoni and she came for an interview to work for me and I remember meeting her and just knowing that I'd known this girl before. <laughs> you know, whenever I'm with her, it just feels like home. She is definitely part of my soul family. She's my chosen family, my soul sister. And even though I don't physically see her, we're still quantumly entangled. <laughs> and she is such an inspiration for everyone who wants to alchemize those shadow parts, those darker parts of ourselves. And she has followed this path of healing, introspection, and she is wise beyond her years. So we discuss everything from self-care, her beauty tips, fostering connection in the world today, and trauma release. She is also creative director and founding partner of Otium Aortis, which is a beautiful luxury brand launching soon, which combines two of her favourite things. And if you know Lotto, this will make perfect sense. Being a provocateur and going to bed. So check that out and hope you enjoy. Hi. Welcome. Thank um, you. This is my very first Prinny's Red Tent. So um, I thought we'd just start off with Prinny's questions. And I feel like we did these face in favour, but I don't think, I think you just missed out on it, but we've done them obviously like in our yeah. bath therapy session. So <laughs> back in the day. Yeah. What decade would you be born in and why? Hmm. So this is something I've thought about a lot. Like I used to always think I would have loved to be like a young woman in the 40s or the 50s, like purely because of the style and the aesthetic. And mm. I just feel like I would have done really well during that time. But then um I don't know, there was just so much oppression and bullshit that was happening. And I kind of feel that actually we're at a point now where we're making like positive changes, you know, and I feel <laughs> aesthetically back then, yeah, but like socially, I think now, yeah. I think you're so right though, because you do always remind me of Marilyn Monroe, we always say that. So like, <laughs> visually, I get that. <laughs> what inspires you? So the person I think that inspires me the most is like my mom. I mean, I, I wrote a thing about it a couple of weeks ago. Like she had pink hair before it was cool. Like her style was always just what she thought was cool. You know, she didn't necessarily like follow trends or anything. Like if she wanted 
at 35 years old to dress up as a fucking fairy she would do it um (laughs) and that is something that I love like I always kind of wish that I had just that confidence and that like carefree attitude you know and that's something that really inspires me she was also like a businesswoman and just quite like a powerful strong woman that also retained like a softness and a kindness and that's something you know that I I would love to have when when you get older you really appreciate that don't you but I think like sometimes when you're younger it it can be a bit like oh god like (laughs) they're like so different but then you love it oh for sure I think I mean when I was younger I think there were like some of her outfits that I would find like kind of embarrassing like when she would decide like one day I'm gonna be a punk and she would like rock up to pick me up from school with you know like chains and stuff on her jeans (laughs) I would be like, oh no, just like wear a sweater or something. (laughs) Be a normal mom. I love that. Yeah, but now I'm I'm grateful that she never was, you know? Yeah, for sure. If there was one thing you could change in the world, what would that be? Um, everything. (laughs) (laughs) That's a big question. Um, I think currently, like where we're at in 2020, the world just seems so <laughs> fucked. I don't know if you need to edit that word out. No, no, we, we like that. Um, <laughs> um, I would love to be able to change just like prejudice, you know, it, and mm-hmm. just sort of bring more empathy into the world and just show people that like, just because someone's different or like they, you know, they don't understand that that, you know, that doesn't make that person bad. And yeah, I would just like, if I had like a magic wand, I think empathy is what I would sprinkle on the world. A hundred percent agree. So true. So more of a fashion-y question. Are you a shoe or a bag girl? Shoes. I think it's got to be shoes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which one are you? Oh, I'm definitely a shoe girl. Like I love bags, Mm. but like I especially now that I'm a mother it's like I need to, I just have like a mum bag and then like a pool bag and that's it like because I yeah. can't keep like because I have to be responsible now so I need to like make sure I've got my stuff in there so yeah I, it's all about the shoes I remember you used to always laugh that I would turn up just like with the biggest bags that would have like my laptop in it like you know like a styling kit like everything just to go to like an event <laughs> literally like you could honestly I swear I'm like, like you could honestly fit like um, like two like small children probably in some of your bags like, I'm not even like, <laughs> so ridiculous <laughs> oh my god what are you reading at the moment oh I'm reading so much I always have like four books on the go I've always got one that's a sort of like healing book um the last one I think was Down Greatly by Brene Brown um and then I've always got like some sort of like memoir on the go and that is I think it's called Blow by Blow by Detmar Blow about um Isabella Blow and her sort of friendship with McQueen and it's super oh. dark and beautiful and it made me laugh and cry and yeah yeah in equal measure I think yeah. oh, I love stuff like you know when I was younger I think everyone's like this but 
like I was so much more into like fiction and things like that and I think as you get older I've I've just totally I love like reading like even like historical biographies which like really geeky but like I just (laughs) love all of that it's so inspiring isn't it I love a good historical book so much (laughs) (laughs) who is your favorite designer McQueen yeah has to be McQueen um I think he was just he was so much more than a designer like his work for me just brings up so much like emotion you know I think Mm. for him he was the first designer that I saw where I was like okay fashion is not just about clothes and it's not just about you know making a woman look pretty you know it's like fierce Mm -hmm. and powerful and you know so empowering um and I think it's interesting that, you know, with his collection, like the Highland Rape, that everyone thought he was so disempowering towards women um, when actually his goal was to empower them. And, you know, that's something that I've always seen in his work. And, yeah, I love him. Mm, for sure. I, it's brought an inspiration. I mean, can you imagine if we were, like, working in fashion at that time? Oh. Like, imagine, like, actually seeing some of the shows. Oh, oh my goodness. The dreams. <laughs> Fuck, I should have I should have said like I should have chosen the um decade what would it have been mm. that I was like born in like the late 80s so I could have gone to the what? 90s show. This is it. Like, <laughs> God, like our parents didn't get it. They oh, didn't get the timing. No. <laughs> what is your life motto? Put down the whip and take out the feather. First time I heard it, um someone someone said it to me and I thought I don't know, I thought he was maybe like being a little bit inappropriate or something. I thought he was like alluding to BDSM and I was like a little bit freaked out. And then I sort of got more of an understanding of it where it's basically just like stop being so harsh on yourself and, you know, show yourself some compassion. And um, that's something that I kind of need to remind myself of quite a lot. And the fact that it almost sounds a bit kinky. makes me just love it even more you know I know because you you have that moment like when you finish saying it where it's a bit tense and everyone's like hang on what is she talking about (laughs) I love that just catch people by surprise I mean that that's Um, the goal what is your guilty pleasure oh so I feel guilty even saying it but it's (laughs) like part of me is like oh should I lie and actually say something I'm not I don't feel that guilty about um but then I guess lying would also be a guilty non-pleasure um but it's it's cigarettes yeah not endorsing it's smoking but I mean please don't smoke (laughs) it's not like cool now I think like when we were growing up it was quite glamorized Mm. but it definitely was for me Mm -hmm. um but now I think I, I I think kids get it don't they they're like not that cool. well they're all vaping now and honestly sometimes I mean I'm still like I'm 24 but sometimes I'll like light a cigarette and I'll just sort of be watching myself and I'll think like this isn't glamorous this is just a oh, bit, yeah. it's just a bit desperate <laughs> <laughs> I love that. oh god and the worst thing is obviously I like I'm actually the worst person because I actually obviously gave up smoking mm. when I was pregnant and then I did, it just slowly creep back in. But I don't know, I do kind of limit it now where because of I'm looking after Solstice, like mm. I'll do it just in the evening when she's asleep. So it's more of like a reward thing. Mm. I don't know. And what is your beauty tip? Ah, Olaplex. <laughs> if, oh, yeah. Especially like if you're a blonde and you're addicted to bleach or like... <laughs> 
you know I'm I've I went through phases with my hair where I was like a psycho like nothing was white enough you know and I would like keep going back and double bleach it and um it got to the point where my hair was just breaking off and Olaplex if you can if you have a friend who owns a salon and you can get the number one and two at home do that um I know that it's like not really allowed and it's meant to be done in the salon but honestly that's like saved my hair oh and my other one is um (laughs) I really believe that black nails just go with everything (laughs) 100% I totally feel especially in the summer Mm. well you know me I'm always doing the different colors I'd say but in the summer I think it looks so good such a good contrast so chic yeah so for our next section i'd like to talk about this beautiful film that lottie did it's actually on fated and fabled if everyone wants to check it out (laughs) and yeah if you could read your little intro just to set the scene for sure connection is key it is the opposite of addiction there is nothing that can replace true human connection this is something she heard during her time as a client in one of the many inpatient psychiatric treatment facilities of which she was admitted. It was something she clung on to, believed in, and tried incredibly hard to establish in her life, genuine human connections. And then the pandemic happened. The world went into lockdown. The fear rose as she was told to socially distance, self-isolate and stay at home. The insanity began quite quickly creeping back in. As the world around her started tentatively reopening and rebuilding, she created for herself a self-imposed isolation and fell apart. Wow. When you watch it, you can totally, totally feel that. And I think it's such an important thing to kind of explore and just talk about. Because I think during the lockdown, I mean, it's the time of recording in the UK. Well, it's in England. We're, we're still in the lockdown. We're a second mm. one. And I just think it's just so interesting to talk about all of these themes that, we, that have all been bubbling up and connection, really. Like how... so. What was the inspiration for for the film? So for me, um, I was in Bali when the pandemic all started kind of being taken seriously. Mm. I had planned to return to London, but it was, I mean, it was like within a day, the world started shutting down. And I, so I was in Bali and all of the borders started closing. My flights kept being cancelled. It was just quite like a severe panic. I had a conversation um, with my father and he was like, you know, this is serious. Like you could be quarantined somewhere for like up to a year. Like what country do you want to do that in? Like, is it London? Is it Bali? Is it Thailand? And it, it was kind <laughs> of like, make a decision now. You know? Yeah, because this is where you're going to be. Oh like, my yeah, God. Totally. It, yeah, it was insane. <laughs> I, was, I was able to get back into Thailand within like, I got in like within an hour, I wouldn't have been able to get in. So I, I was so, so incredibly lucky. And then coming back, it was, I mean, it was so, so surreal. Like all of the airports were just like empty. Obviously everyone was wearing a mask. Um, and there was like a lot of screening and stuff. And I I got back to my house in Thailand and then obviously had to um, like self-isolate because I'd been traveling. Mm. And then Thailand went into a lockdown and, um, you know, we had like a curfew imposed. We had like quite strict guidelines. Thankfully, everyone in Thailand kind of just followed them, you know, so we've done really 
Have yeah, you done... you've done really well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like compared to us, I was, I literally keep talk, talking about it. Like you know, not not just like living her best <laughs> life. Like it's just basically normal. Apart from I don't know, are the borders open now for international travel? No one no. can come in. I think mm. yeah, it's very very difficult to come in. Um, but I think I mean that's kind of what they did right. You know, they just shut the shit down straight away. Yeah. No one... <laughs> literally, I'm, I'm no virologist, obviously, but. Like, like I mean letting I know why it was it's kind of first world problems but obviously when the lockdown lifted here in the summer everyone was like right let's go on our like quick little easy jet trips <laughs> blah, blah 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 you know driving around Europe blah blah blah, blah. and it's like well <laughs> um, I think as well like you know we didn't have anyone in Thailand going this virus isn't real this is a conspiracy mm. or something and as well I mean I've been living in Chiang Mai, Thailand, like nearly three years now, and people are just used to wearing masks anyway. Like if the pollution mm. is bad, I would wear a mask anyway, like before the pandemic. So I think the fact that people were used to doing it, and I think culturally as well, I don't know if there's more empathy of people being worried about passing stuff on to other people. They're just sort of more considerate. Yeah. And I, yeah. Sure. So I definitely think that's helped a lot. So interesting, isn't it? The contrast between being told, like what you were saying in the intro, you know, connection is, mm. is key, obviously, for, you know, humanity. But then obviously we're all, we were all being told and still now obviously too socially distanced. Mm. There was research basically saying that loneliness and um, self uh, social isolation mm. is actually a bigger killer than smoking. Oh, wow. How crazy. I mean, yeah. I've seen a lot as well of, like, news articles about, you know, like, the rates of suicide, particularly with, like, young people and students, has been going up a lot. And there's been a mm. lot of talk and predictions about, like, the next crisis or the next pandemic is, is actually going to be, like, a mental health one. And that's, mm. you know, something that I can absolutely see happening. Totally. I think about the light and the dark and the polarities, because on the one hand, obviously, we all know about phones and how, you know, the behavioural addictions that can come of that, etc. But actually, that that for all of us has been the gateway to connection, like calling mm. our friends, Zooming our friends, like during all of this. It's, it's so interesting, isn't it? How do you balance the phone? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I just want to say, I saw something, I think, on Twitter the other day that made me laugh so much. And it it was like, yeah. thank God this pandemic didn't happen in like, I don't know, it was like 2001 or something. Otherwise, everyone would be just sitting <laughs> on their phones playing Snake. <laughs> oh, my God. I, oh, what my would God. You do? Like, because I had... A- like honestly I I had a tiny bit of that but it was actually when the lock it was in between the lockdowns here you know when I had to get my Mm. phone fixed and I have a landline and then I had all those thoughts too because I I, to be fair obviously I have my laptop I still have my iPad so I could still go on social media it wasn't totally like that but at the same time like even like calling and like doing voice notes Mm. which I love you know it took me back and I just thought oh my goodness like back in the day like our parents used to like meet up with people or like dating you imagine that You'd actually actually ring someone and actually say, right, we're meeting here. You couldn't, like, you know, blow them off or do something else. Oh, it's a nightmare. (laughs) I can't even imagine it. I am good at balancing, like, my phone time, to be honest. And I, 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 like, my my work is, like, within social media. So I can sometimes, like, justify, well, you know, I spent eight hours on Instagram today, but that was work. But really, like, Mm -hmm. I know it's not healthy and... Sometimes I feel kind of like resentful when um, 
you know, that message pops up on your iPhone and it's like, oh, your screen time was up 37% this week. And I'm like, fuck, like, don't tell me that. But I'm, I'm, I, I feel I sometimes have a bit of like a love hate relationship with my phone. Like I love it that it enables me to stay in contact with friends and family who are all over the world. Um, but I hate that I could mm. sometimes get sucked into a Pinterest hole for hours on end and then not be able to climb out <laughs> it is tricky isn't it and I think again it's just like with everything in life you just have to just think about like the quality of what you're consuming which sounds like really sort of esoteric but you, you know what I mean it's like this is how obviously people go down different rabbit holes because it just mm. depends and it's the, the algorithms mm. etc like we're all looking at totally different things so it's just being like conscious of that what do you do to foster connection I think you know, obviously, like staying in contact on phones is really, really important. I noticed recently, so one of my, um, you know, my best, best friends who I was living with before the pandemic sort of happened, he got stuck in Canada and I came back to Thailand and I'd been like really, really missing him. Like so much to the point, like, you mm. know, we talk every day. I'm always trying to like find sneaky ways of getting him back into the country. I am, um, you know, I <laughs> saw that you could apply for like a medical visa or something. And I was like, oh, darling, just, you know, just book a nose job or something and try and get a medical uh, visa, which obviously, you know, that's not how it works. And yeah. I noticed like I was so kind of not willing to accept that he wasn't physically here with me, that I had kind of like isolated myself from the people that were around me. You know, I, I was like, mm. well, they're not him. So I don't want to hang out with them, <laughs> which, you know, which is super unhealthy. And so I definitely, you know, now because I'm living somewhere where there isn't really restrictions or a lockdown, I do actually have to kind of make an effort to not put myself in like a self-imposed isolation, you know, because that's something for me that can be quite easy to just not leave my apartment for a few days and feel like I'm connected because I'm talking to so many people on the phone. But I don't, mm. you know, and that's amazing, but I don't think it's a replacement for like real genuine human connection of like sitting across the table from someone and, and talking. I think it's a good substitute but it only mm -hmm. goes so far, you know? And I, yeah, so I've been definitely trying to like get out and sort of take advantage of the fact that I am somewhere that we're allowed to go out. Mm, yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and I think that's, that's like one of like the positives of this, you know, this crazy sort of lockdowns, etc. has been like how much you do appreciate literally opposite yeah. someone else. I wouldn't have said it. I mean, it's great that we have like the phones and everything, but there is no substitution mm. for it. And I think it, that that is that's something that has really been highlighted I think and like for me personally obviously since becoming a mother you have this transition anyway where you know I say this to everyone like I can't do things like uh, spontaneity is, is not a thing I can do because I, I mm. really have to plan you know around the schedule of seeing people but on the other hand it means like when I do actually see people I've really made the effort and they're actually you know we're really like mm. connecting so I think that's like that's something that I was already transitioning into so it's like kind of like <laughs> the whole world is like experience what it's like spoke about in the intro uh, connection is the opposite yeah. of addiction tell us a bit about that it's something I learned kind of in my own journey of uh, getting sober you know it I kind of thought mm -hmm. 
early days like the opposite of addiction is sobriety right you know like the opposite Mm. of high is just being sober and when someone like first said that to me like the opposite of addiction is connection I didn't really understand it you know I kind of thought it you know it's just one of those fucking phrases that they like to throw out like just for today (laughs) you know all of that but now that I'm like further along I I really do understand it like for me addiction I thought I was connecting you know but I was so disconnected Mm -hmm. and mostly I was so disconnected with myself I was so scared of connecting with myself that I was using drugs and alcohol as like a cushion for that you know and I would kind of think oh Mm. yeah I had this deep conversation with someone but I mean I was off my tits but it felt deep but really (laughs) it wasn't because I would like wake up the next day and be like oh my god like what did I say to them you know there was no real vulnerability because the substances or whatever were kind of giving me that like false sense of courage and I know now like you know, when I'm connected with other people who have gone through similar things or just, you know, friends where I can really vulnerably like talk about like what's going on for me, like that's true connection. And I know when I'm like disconnected, the little voice that is addiction for me, like feeds off of that, you know, like when I feel like I'm alone or people don't understand me or can fall into like Mm self-pity or something, that's when things get dangerous obviously doing drugs drinking is like a form of disconnection Mm. like literally you disassociate don't you it's like numbing Mm. all those things so what your self-care practices Um, (laughs) I think my number one do you know what my number one is I I think I know so it's got to be bubble baths which I mean I know you know I think a proper like self-care snob would maybe like look down on that because Mm. I now have an understanding that like self-care is so much more than a manicure and a massage and a bubble bath like all of those things are really you know have their place in a self-care routine but for me now like self-care is also like going to therapy taking my medication um you know working on my Mm. recovery setting boundaries you know is probably like the most (laughs) The most difficult self-care thing for me to do, like saying no, even even if I'm going to feel guilty about it, like that is self-care. That's me looking after myself. And I used to think Mm. self-care was a bubble bath and, you know, one of those glasses that can fit an entire bottle of red wine in it. That, (laughs) that's... (laughs) I remember those days. <laughs> like, that's what I thought. You know, I thought, oh, my life is together and, and manageable because I'm just living the mermaid life and drunk in the bath. Um, nice, yeah. But my understanding of it has completely changed now. What's what's your self-care like as, a, as like a young new mum? You have to have these really strong self-care practices where, like me, for example... I'll always try and do yoga. It's much easier now because um, Solly can like walk around and she, she'll like do it with me and you know, she's quite busy. So that's fine. And I always try and do it even if it's in the yeah. evening when she's asleep. Um, because I find that because my mind is always like ticking and whirring. And so I really have to like foster that because otherwise I just start doing everything for mm. her and the whole house. And then it's like, oh, I haven't, I haven't even sat down and just, you know, simple thing mm. just to breathe. Like, because it's, it, you know, you can get so caught up in it. So that's definitely my 
obviously boundaries I mean I've always struggled with that mm. anyway just you know just through life um and that that is one and exactly like actually just saying no when you know when you don't actually feel like doing mm. something is such a big one it's so simple but it's so hard it's so it? scary <laughs> also, I like I love that you're sort of raising Solly in a way where like she's seeing you do yoga and stuff and I, I'd forgotten one of like the self-care yeah. things that I think is so important and like that everyone should do is tre oh god yeah we yeah love that. solly does it's, that it's amazing <laughs> so what is that tell us a bit about so it's something that, that i is. learned when i was in treatment it's um trauma release exercises and it was based on the idea that like when an animal gets really scared or like when a child gets really scared and there's like a traumatic event happening and you know their body is in like fight or flight like the child or the animal will start shaking um and all of those like hormones and stress chemicals that are in the body get the chance to leave the body through the shaking this doctor was researching and he noticed i think he, it was like in a cave and there were bombs going off and he noticed that the parent didn't shake because they were trying to look strong for the children and after the event they would just look so traumatized so scared but the children who had been shaking were able to just get on with it. They were able to like run around and play. And he noticed the adults and because like society has conditioned us to not appear weak or not, not appear scared, that that's actually, you know, keeping all of those stress chemicals in. So he, he devised, I think it's like seven exercises that you do and then you lay down and you activate, I can't remember the scientific word for it, you activate something and you shake on the floor like, um, and I, you know, before I did it, I didn't believe it. Like I, I would see videos of people doing it and I think like, oh, they're just, you know, they're pretending um, because yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. just looks so silly. Um, but then when I, I did it myself, and it, I felt, I don't know, it, I felt like my, whole sort of pelvic region was vibrating and it, yeah it's yeah. so so healing and I loved um when you messaged me the other day and said you were doing it and then Solly like came and joined in and I just think yeah that it's incredible <laughs> it's amazing because it's it's also the theory isn't it mm. that trauma we know this stays in the body especially mm. emotional psychological and so that's what that's why we've just got to you've got to move it out so yeah I just love the fact that she already knows how to do it and it's so amazing with children like you said and animals like for example there's mm. been those fireworks recently so you, Tibby's just mm. been shaking all over the shop but he but that's mm. how he's getting it out of his system and my mother was asking me like why is he like he's just continuing to shake and I was like yeah but this is how he's processing it this is really good and like with Solly you know if she doesn't if something's really upset her she would mm. just like you really cry just move move it out of her body but she's not sitting there like we do as adults and then having it tick tick around mm. her mind going well this means that that I'm unloved or I'm unworthy or all those crazy stories that mm. we begin to tell ourselves like it's just it's so so simple but yeah it, like I, they should just we always say this they should really teach this to, oh to children God. like properly because it's just key like imagine doing an emotional intelligence class or something properly like actually with like mm -hmm. you know proper like therapists and etc i think the language all around it is so helpful to know like mm -hmm. when you can like name your feelings and like name your needs and like it's so obvious but it's like it's something that we just do not get it's taught, so, like, i think it's because like you know, you know, those aren't skills 
that whoever's designing the curriculum thinks will make a good subservient mm. little worker, right? Like, <laughs> it is so, I didn't understand until about two years ago that I could feel a feeling. <laughs> I, right, I, like in your body. I was completely right. astounded. Like, I, I was working with a therapist and said, I'm feeling sad about this. And he was like, where do you feel it? And I was like, <laughs> the fuck what do you mean mm. where do you feel it I <laughs> feel sad like that's it and he was like no but like you know focus on your body yeah. like where is it and I was like oh my god like it's in my chest it's in my throat like I like I if if yeah. I only learned that two years ago <laughs> I'm sure there are other people that would um really benefit from <laughs> learning it totally I mean a hundred percent like honestly I think so like I can't even believe like for me as well I feel like this year I like I said this to you like I properly like felt like mm. I was grieving for the first time for my father's death and like that that was at least, I think at least 10 mm. it's about 10 years ago now that it happened and I just felt like I'd always had like you know cries like within the year but for some reason on his birthday this year I don't know I think maybe it's because I've become a mother I don't mm. know and I actually like felt it like really like cried like it was yeah it's just it's amazing how much everybody mm. bottles it up. It's just, and it always, it's wild, I think, actually. you know, when you are <laughs> trying to suppress something like that, it's always going to come out like sideways. You know, like no, no matter what you're using oh. to suppress it, if it's like food or drugs yeah. or alcohol or porn or work or whatever, mm. there's, you know, I found that there's mm. always feelings underneath those behaviors that you're trying to like regulate, and I just think even just like a few emotional regulation classes in school would yeah be so beneficial this is it because like as well like as you said like when you are suppressing it the other common thing is that mm. you obviously take it out on others and that is why relationships mm. can then become this whole I mean that that should be another class as well like fuck like you know obviously we need to know about sex education and stuff and the basis of like human relationships and how you relate to each other is basically what we do all the time and, and like most of us are really unconscious of our behaviors so it's like there's an amazing organization actually in i believe it's australia or new zealand and it's called she is not your rehab created by the Mm. i think his name is matt brown but i could have just made that up um and it worked in like a barber shop and he would like hear guys like talking about stuff and he started this organization and it, it was like a way for like men to kind of combat like toxic masculinity and kind of prevent like domestic Mm -hmm. violence and things like that by giving men like a space to be vulnerable and share what was going on for them and like learn like new healthier ways of like dealing with their like thoughts and feelings Mm. and yeah it's just it's an amazing organization and I believe that they do do like workshops and stuff with like young people so like people people are aware these conversations mm-hmm. need to be had how long it would take to get into yeah. the curriculum I don't know like we're gonna have to set up our own stuff yeah I actually watched I think it's on prime um yeah and it's basically it's called the work and it's these amazing people that go into the most you know most dangerous criminals in California in this prison and it's all males and they literally mm-hmm. do like full-on therapy where they'll like have these little groups and they they just mm. some of them like haven't cried like ever and it's like things like that it's so deep and it's a similar thing where it's a safe space 
and they, they work on things somatically as in they'll, they'll get like pillows and like have them like you know actually like scream into them and punch it and actually like feel for the first time so I think yeah it's, it's so, so important it's so key doing, doing work <laughs> It's never ending. Figure it all out. Yeah. <laughs> it's never ending. Thank but yeah, you. Thank you so much love you. Time. Miss you. Lots of Another one of my great tools for introspection is astrology. Now I know a lot of people uh, like to sort of say, "Well, that's rubbish." how can that be true, et cetera, et cetera. Because in pop culture, and, and this was only really pushed like since the 1900s, the, the focus on the sun sign. So that's what your star sign is. It's where the sun was when you were born. And obviously that's a really big chunk of time. And there's a lot of people with the same sun sign as you and you're like, what? How, we're not the same. And it's because it matters where within your natal chart that the sun actually falls. Um, but that's another story and it's that's why it's kind of dumbed down but it's actually a tool that is so powerful for understanding your own psyche and for actually seeing certain markers that come up in time it's almost like you know like when you take your first breath the natal chart is like a blueprint and that's how you can see okay well this is when relationship problems are going to come up. This is when work is going to be a big focus, etc., etc. So a lot of people also don't realise that we have a sun sign, but there's all the planets, and then there's asteroids as well, that are in a certain place when you were born. And all of that comes together in a symphony, which is almost like a vibrational toolkit, which you can use to empower yourself and understand yourself. And it's almost your, your symphony of greatness and magnificence. Because it's said that there's something crazy, like 78,000 things that are different between each natal chart. People say, you know, well, what about twins? And of course, when they're born at the same time, they'll have the same birth chart, but then the expression of that will be in either extreme. So it'll play out in a way where it's like, really amazing at this or the other one really doesn't like you know what I mean so once you understand astrology you're like whoa <laughs> this is what's going on and I don't use it as a tool to predict necessarily I just use it as like okay well these certain things are going to come up and oh my goodness even when I'm so aware of it sometimes things to still come up and I'm like whoa so a good place to start is everybody knows their sun sign but also, did you know that you have moon sign? So the sun sign is your soul force energy. It's obviously like the sun. So it's shining bright, it's going, you know, it's that masculine driven outward energy. Whereas the moon sign is your emotional inward nature. It's everything that governs the subconscious. It's actually your true nature. And that's why for me personally, I'm, I don't completely feel like my sun sign. And then when I found out my moon sign, I was like, oh, well, this is why. So the moon sign can also, because it's your subconscious and your inner water, so your cells are full of water, like I said, and they're taking on all of this energy. And this is where it's stored in the body. This is where, how trauma is stored in the body. You know, part of the right brain 
and that's connected to your emotions, creativity, and also trauma. So this is where we can store these playback loops in our mind where it's like, you know, I've always been rejected by boys. I'll always be rejected. And you just keep choosing people that reject you and are avoidant and et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of the, the shadow side of the moon. But then in its greatest potential, the moon sign is also your soul's desire. Often it will be, not always, but it will often be in a completely different element to the sun sign that you have. So I'm a sun sign Taurus, but my moon sign is Pisces. So my Taurus is an earth sign, Pisces is a water sign. And when I found that out, I was like, whoa, like this is it. Like, because I'm, so, and because where my sun falls in my chart, we'll get into like the houses and etc. but it falls in the 12th house, which is the realm of Pisces. So it almost feel like a double Piscean energy. So it's really interesting to look into. So how can you actually use this in practical life? So the, your moon sign is where it was when you were born. Now the moon moves very quickly, it moves in a different sign every two days. So this is the easiest way to chart how the different signs affect you. So it's great to kind of walk around the zodiac with this. So every month or month, we have a new moon. The moon falls in the same degree as the sun and that's why it's the new moon in whatever. So now at the time of recording, it's Libra time. So we've just had a new moon in Libra. And then when the sun and the moon are opposite, exactly opposite in the same degree, that's when we have a full moon. So it would always be in the opposite sign. So a couple of weeks back, we had the full moon in Aries. So people who have a sun sign Libra and have a moon in Aries, they were born on a full moon. And so the new moon is new beginnings. It's the, it's, the seed is planted and it's growing. And it all depends what kind of sign it is, what time of year it is. And this is why actually in permaculture, they actually plant seeds according to the moon cycles. Really interesting, look into that. Um, so as a generalization, the new moon is for planting new ideas and putting something into action. Then the moon goes through different sizes, so you know it's like grows, it becomes like the crescent moon, etc. That's a bit more complicated. A couple of days before the new moon is something called the dark moon, which is the time when we should do releasing rituals, so anything you want to let go of, etc. But the full moon is when everything's come to fruition, as I said. So that's the time when we just notice what's coming up and that's why emotions get very heightened because it kind of is really intense. And that's, you know, why commonly a lot of people say that people get arrested at the time and, you know, people can basically lose it. <laughs> So a good place to start if you would like to find out more about your moon sign, the aspects, how to work with it. I'm now offering one-on-one -on -one readings 
which I'm doing for your moon sign, rising sign, your personal planets, full natal chart, and I can also do consultations. I am also doing a Patreon, which is Prinny's Red Tent, where there's different tiers, but you know, we do how to tap into your divine feminine, the monthly moons, uh, goddess of the moons, how to tap into your creative power. And then for my Ceres one, I'm going to do personal energetics. As long as you know your birth time and place, you obviously know your birthday, then I can read that for you as well. So you know what's coming up. That's obviously commonly known as horoscopes but it won't be because it's not for your sun sign I will do it for all the houses and it's it's a very personal way of basically seeing astrology in action